I communicate on full service radio 830 WCRM to join the conversation call 508-871-7000. Now, here's your host, Mark Altman. Good afternoon everyone and welcome to another edition of I communicate. Glad to have you here with us on this Thursday afternoon. Ted, how are you? Boy, Ted, I got to tell you it, it, it's rough and and you know, it's so funny. I I think so many times in my life, I have said to myself, man, if I only had more time. It, yeah, if time. I, if I only had more time and, oh, there's so much more that I could do. And now I seem to have found a lot more time and I'm not all that happy about it. I got to tell you the truth. <laughs> you know, I, I find that I have uh. more, And what's funny, Ted, is I find that I have so much time on my hands. I'm tackling a lot of projects for Mindset Go that I had put off. But boy, I am really missing that human interaction desperately. You know, it it is odd in a world where people are so they've made themselves distant by the use of technology, by the use of <clears throat> other things that have just separated us. And now here we are, we are forced to be separated. And yeah, I think I'm missing it too. Yeah, I think I think what's interesting is we all live in a in a in a society in a world where we all tell each other how busy we are all the time, and we're always going from thing to thing and place to place. And right. you know, and I wish we could find some time to do that, but not today. Right, right. And so now, what this has done is it's forcing a lot of people to slow down, to do some self reflection, to. Uh, figure out and identify what their true priorities are. And so, look, there's so much bad news going on related to this coronavirus, but I think a lot of times we talk on this show about growth mindset and positive ways to think and reflect. And I think there are a lot of positives that can come out of this crisis. Absolutely. Uh, You you know, I've been trying to find positive developments to put in the news. I've... uh, been very careful when speaking about it around my grandchildren. Uh, they're just not capable, really, at, the, at their ages. Uh, a child is not capable of processing something like social distancing. Mm. And they pick up on the slightest bit of panic. So you've got to be calm when you're talking about it around anybody under the age of 15. Yeah, and so, you know, Ted, I was thinking, you know, what what can I do my show on today related to this coronavirus? But so many of the storylines related to the coronavirus are being so overdone and talked about. I wanted to kind of take a different angle. And I'm going to talk about something today that I've, I've felt strongly about for a while, and that is the concept of working from home. Now, as a listener, I understand Everybody's talking about working from home, but I want to attack it from a different angle. And the angle is that most companies, okay, for the longest time, did, do, did not and do not want to let their employees work from home. As a matter of fact, I was doing some research, and as far back as just 2015, Ted, only 24% of employed people did at least some work from home. Yes. That is a really low number. 
Yes. And even though that number has climbed in the last four or five years, I would argue it's climbed reactively and not proactively because of the work-life demands, because of the millennial generation. It's almost like you have no choice as a company now. You, you have to bend or accede to the wishes to allow more people to work from home. Well, I don't want to be a uh, management uh, slave here, but I, I got to point out that the numbers about telecommuting and productivity over the past 10 years have just been awful. And many employers look at those numbers and say, well, you know, if there's a 40% reduction in productivity when they work from home, then we have to be careful about that. Our stockholders will not forgive us. But you're right. Now it doesn't matter. No, no, but no, but but no, no, no. Let, let's go with that because I wanna I wanna understand the mindset that has been over the last five years, and and I want to talk about what you just said, is been, geez, I guess we have no choice. I guess we're gonna need to start doing this, right? Which is crazy because there are so many benefits to doing it, but everybody's been in a reactive mindset. Yes. And now with the coronavirus, now it's not only do you have to have a reactive mindset, but this could be the impetus that finally transitions many companies to actually examining and taking the necessary steps to fix that telecommuting data that is so poor. And what really boggles my mind, Ted, is when I think of working from home and why companies have been so resistant to it, there's three primary reasons in my mind. One is the productivity of their work. Are they as productive as they would be in the office? Two, the efficiency of the work. Are they, are they getting enough done and getting it done correctly? It's almost like being detail-oriented and multitasking at the same time. Right. Right, and so you, and then the sense of urgency in the work. Right, can they have the same sense of urgency when they don't have that peer collaboration around? Well, there's also another element to this, and that's security. When you have remote workers, you have the potential of security risks to your network. Um, just so you understand, I used to sell this kind of product. It's a virtual private network work, each employee gets their own ID, and you're able to have a secure network, and they can work from wherever their company-issued laptop is. But those laptops are also collecting other data about their productivity, what their eyes are looking at, and whatnot. So you have to be <clears throat> sensitive to the fact that somebody at the corporate level is looking at this data. And they're not just reluctant to let people work from home, um, and they do see the benefit, but it's the cost to productivity that they will have to then report back up to the stockholders. Well, well wait a minute, wait a minute. You, But you started talking about technology, and I'm sorry, we're in 2020. I mean, if you're a company and you have technology concerns about the safety of data and security, security yes. you've got to be kidding me. I mean, it's 2020. I mean, come on. Uh, look, you know, you're absolutely right. The uh, security level 
on a private network where you pay for it to be clean through the cloud, you'd think. But unfortunately, there's a downside, and that is where it's delivered. Are they on a secure wireless network at their home? Or are they sitting in a mug and muffin using public Wi-Fi? Well, well let, you know what, Ted? Let's, take, let's go backwards for a second, okay? Because I think it all starts right here. I am a leader for an organization. I am hiring someone to work for me in some capacity. When you hire someone, do you trust them? Are you hiring people that you can trust? Because let's, let's be honest. Trusting people to be as productive and efficient at home versus in the workplace, I mean, even if they're not working from home, there are trust issues all the time. Can you delegate certain work to them? Can you trust they're going to turn in projects on time? I mean, so there's trust issues that are required between an employer and employee, many trust issues well before you even get to working from home. Well, I got one thing to say about that. They shouldn't have been hired if you don't trust That's them. Right. That's so right. So if they belong to your organization, trust is presumed. Okay. So now let's look at the data you spoke at earlier of the telecommunication data where the productivity drops off so much. Now let's talk about yeah. that. Why does that happen, Ted? Well, I think there's two reasons for it. Uh, human behavior at the office is well-established, and people know how to behave when they're in the office. Uh, let me just give you an example oh, I, that you. is Go going ahead. on right now as we speak while people are listening to this radio show. Somebody's been told to work from home, and their kids are out of school. The primary person sits down, logs in, and starts the first email when the first child walks in with milk all over its face. Something's got to give, and the child is going to come first. That's number one. Okay. The interruptions. Yep. Number two is access to information immediately. At the office, we stand up, we walk across the room, we pick up the document or we, the person, and we say, here's my question. You get your answer. You go back to your desk, and you complete the process. When you're working from home, you might have to stop a moment, pick up the phone, go to another screen, and uh, what is the word we say? Google it or search engine the uh, particular concept. Or you have to get special access to use the virtual private network to get it to the company's database. So naturally, with the process of things, there's going to be a reduction in productivity. Okay, so... Let's go with that for a moment. So here's my take on that situation. Because I've thought a lot about this, Ted. When you are in the office, okay, let's talk about accountability for a second. Do, how often do we truly understand people's workload? Now, if you work for me, as a matter of fact, I had, I had a client say to me this morning that they need to get, their company needs to put together job descriptions. This is a multi-million dollar company who's been around forever, and I said, why do you need job descriptions? And he says, for accountability and structure. I said, so, let's talk about that, accountability and structure. So I said to him, I said, I get what you're saying, 
But let's face it, once you're hired at a company, no one ever looks at that job description again. You start doing your daily workload. We, we keep piling more and more work on time. We don't know what an appropriate work. I mean, how many leaders can honestly say, everybody who works for me, I can tell you they have an appropriate workload and here's why or here's why not. How many leaders can actually honestly answer that question? Because I don't think many. Often the review of a person's performance is really not for the purpose of review or productivity. It's either to move them along yep. or to eliminate them. Okay. Now, you know, let's just be honest about that. I mean, because the, the function of a corporate world is you're either on or you're off. You're, you're either productive or you're not. Okay. So, so here's my point, right? So if you work for me, all right, when, if you work for me, how do I evaluate? Forget working at home. How am I evaluating you, right? Uh, if I have to give you deadlines, it's again, it's quality, performance. Okay, but at the end of the day, I'm. it's unlikely, and we're going to continue when we, after our first break, but it's unlikely I'm giving you a very specific to-do list every week, and you're saying I did all those things, and that was a productive quality week. So when we come back from our first break, I'm going to talk about how the difference in working from home and the difference of working at the office It's a similar problem, just veiled under a different challenge. This is Mark Altman for iCommunicate. We'll be back after the break. Now, iCommunicate continues on full-service radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to iCommunicate. Okay, so Ted, I have a scenario for you. This is, I want, I want our audience to really listen to what I'm proposing because, you know, we're talking about accountability. We're talking about structure. We're talking about distraction, you know, as the enemies, right, to working from home. But I've got a scenario for you. The scenario is, I want to give everybody what they want. You know, I don't even know if I can trust you yet, but you know what? You want to work from home, knock yourself out. I'm going to let you work from home, okay? And I don't care how many distractions you have. Hell, if you want to work, instead of assuming logistically this is possible for the company you work for, you want to work 6 p.m. to 3 a.m. For all I care, if that's a better time for you to work, knock yourself out. Here's the thing. At my company, here's the rules. I am going to give you an appropriate workload that I think, and you know what I'm going to do, Ted? My appropriate, the definition of my appropriate workload is it may take you, instead of a 40-hour work week, and this is going to get rid of clock punchers and everything, Ted. You're going to love this. So instead of it being a 40, I'm going to make sure it's a 50 to 60-hour workload because the way I think is it's a trade-off, right? Because you don't have to commute, save money on gas, wear and tear on your life, your mind, your car. You get to be near your loved ones more frequently. You can have the flexibility you work. Dry cleaning. Dry cleaning, knock yourself out. You can have it all. But you know what? I'm going to really do a great job setting very clear expectations about the amount of work, the quality of work, and the timeliness of the work that you do every week. And that's the trade-off we're going to make. All right. Can, can I 
I, and I'm going to put on the employee hat Please, now, okay? please, yep. Um, honestly, if they have not had this plan in place already, they're in trouble. You mean the company? The company, yeah. Yep. Because if you say, okay, well, now that your job description has been changed, you're going to be at home doing the work and policing yourself. How are they going to evaluate these new work plans? Oh, no, that's just it. They're, they will not be policing themselves. My point is, I believe where things falter, and right before the break, I made the point that the problem isn't working from home or working on site. The problem is the lack of clear expectations in communications around what needs to be done and when. Okay, well, 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 you've got to understand that there are rules with regards to monitoring your employees. Yeah. Um, back in the day when we first rolled out these systems that allowed the computer to report back to the manager how much activity and what their eyes were looking at and the keystrokes and all that, the device is capable of speaking to the operator and saying, rest time is over. And that was, and we were told that that can't be in the system. Right. That that is a breach of personal space. Was the way it was picked. I'm I'm all in favor of what you're talking about. I just don't see how it can be policed. It's going to have to be self policing. Otherwise, it won't work. How is it policed in the office? That's if, my point. If, if you it's go, not policed okay, in the well, office. Hang on, hang on. If you go into the lunchroom at your office these mm -hmm. days, there's a posting there that lets everybody know that everything you say and do in the office is being monitored, the information is collected, and evaluated. That's the, the rule now. That's yeah. the conditions in the workplace. Yeah. And that extending that into the home is, in all senses, illegal in our country. Okay, well, you're, you're going a totally different direction. As far as what's legal and illegal, companies have intranets that whether you're working from home or working on site, it's still company data. Yes, so, and it does collect data about your activity. Right, so you can, you can monitor. You're not limited in monitoring information when someone's working at home. If I'm sitting in the office and I don't want some information to be at public, I'll text it to someone or I'll send it through my phone, just like I would if I was at home. So the point I'm trying to make, Ted, is you're talking about data. I'm talking about things like productivity and yes. accountability. Performance and things like that. data is what I'm talking about. Yeah, but there is no need for performance data if the expectations of tasks and responsibilities are clearly laid out with a corresponding timeline. And see, I think in the workplace right now, what happens is, and Ted, I run into people all the time who will say to me, especially younger generations, but not exclusive to younger generations, who will say to me, you know, Mark, could you give me a, a deadline? Because I work better with a deadline. A lot of people don't know how to prioritize and organize themselves without a deadline. So in the office, what I think happens is, if things aren't deadline-driven and measured as far as how long things take, right. people kind of run amok. Yes, they do. And then if you take that mentality home, yeah. then it really runs amok 
leading to your bad telecommuting data. Yeah, yeah I, I guess that goes back to our first conversation about this, and, and that is unless they've got a plan already in place with a methodology for imposing a work schedule, then it's kind of tough to do it now that the people are already at home behind a screen. Well, wow, that's a loaded response because now you're talking about change management, which companies struggle with all over the place, regardless of and, whether it's working on site or at home. And that's why need you to come in there and help them <laughs> with this. <laughs> well, so so think of it this way, okay? Just, just to put a bow on this, okay? Ba- my basic premise, whether you think it's right or wrong, my basic premise is relationships struggle in the workplace because of unclear expectations, poor communication, and mistrust. Okay? Here, here. Right? And so those things are there whether they're on site or at work. Now, one of the things when we measure data to justify working at home, now here's a couple of things, right? One of them, though, is employee retention. So have we taken the time yet to measure the increase in employee retention. And I bring that up because right after our second break, we're going to have an expert joining us on recruiting and employee retention, Melissa Glennie, CEO of Franklin Professional Staffing. And we're going to talk about that because what it comes down to is life is a trade-off. You know, I did a show a couple of months ago about reciprocity when it comes to networking and sales. And what I'm proposing is reciprocity. I'm proposing that I will give you everything you want, and I'm proposing in exchange for giving you everything I want, the workload's going to be tighter. The workload's going to be bigger because you now have flexibilities you didn't have before. You're able to save money. You're able to improve your work-life balance, so I'm going to demand a little more from you. And you know what? It's going to be a change. Ted's spot on. It's going to be a change. And you know when I, when I talk to companies about change management, this could be one of the biggest examples of change management companies have ever faced. This is a major cultural shift. Major cultural shift. And so, and I'm going to tell you, Ted, I really believe, this is my last comment about this going into break. You know, it is trust. Trust is a big part of this. That's true. But what I think is really going on here is managers don't trust their ability to lead when people aren't right there. And that's why I call the show Out of Sight, Out of Mind, that's Be- it, yeah. right? Because if, if, if managers are fearful of the change, if managers are fearful of their ability to control, keyword being control, right, right. because it's, they're, they're out of sight, they got to step out of their comfort zone. Most people don't like stepping out of their comfort zone, and it starts right there. Right. And so the focus it's of trust. too. It's change. It's it change. Is. So when we come back, for our uh, next segment, we're going to have be joined by Melissa Glennie, CEO of Franklin Professional Staffing. I'm Mark Altman, and if you'd like to call in for the show, 508-871-7000. This is I Communicate. Thank you. 
Now, I Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Welcome back to I Communicate for segment number three. feel very fortunate right now uh, getting to uh, talk to one of the prominent experts in the recruiting and retention industry, Melissa Glennie. Melissa, thank you so much for joining the show. Hi, Mark. Yeah, it's my pleasure to be here. I've enjoyed the show so far. Thanks. Excellent. So, Melissa, I guess, you know, if you could just kind of just briefly share a little bit of your background and and your experience in the industry, just so our listeners kind of have a feel for your expertise. Sure. So I've been working with companies for almost 20 years now, helping them to hire and build high-achieving teams. And for the last eight years, I have owned my own business, so have had that Extra special, nuanced experience of leadership. <laughs> Love it. Um, which I know you have too. Yeah. So, so Melissa, I guess I want to start out. I know, I know, companies are looking to you um, to to find top level talent, regardless of what position they're trying to fill. I'm wondering what what changes are you anticipating when you're thinking about recruiting? You know. If 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 I'm right, and there are going to be some cultural shifts around work styles and trust and accountability, how does that shift your approach uh, to recruiting? And how and what kind of advice are you giving companies to anticipate that? Well, you know, I, I mean, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how things play out in terms of specifically hiring and training. I think one of the first hurdles that I'm seeing companies starting to, to get through um, quickly in, in the instances where they were reluctant previously, but now the pain of having people come in is obviously greater than the pain of, of allowing them to work remotely. Um, so I think that, you know, for a lot of the companies I'm, uh, I'm knowledgeable about, they've already moved to the remote working platforms for a lot of their employees, most all of their employees. But now the, que- the next question is, if this continues, you know, how are they going to adapt and how are we in the staffing and recruiting industry going to adapt our processes so there's more of that physical distancing? Um, so I think that there's a still a lot yet to be fleshed out in that. Um, you know, 360, I'm sorry, um, video interviews are very, very common. So that part is pretty straightforward. I just saw that the um, uh, CDE had put out a memo earlier this week about the I-9 requirements for filling out the um, uh, I-9s in person with physical examination of the documentation. So they're con- uh, it, it appears they're considering loosening up that requirement, but we haven't received anything officially yet. So, you know, this is definitely changing the whole landscape for us, and, and there's still a, a, a great deal of uncertainty um, the only thing that's certain is that I think this is going to definitely be uh, an experience that's delineating, you know, the way things used to be versus the way things are going forward. Well, listen, let me ask you, you know, you mentioned virtual and remote workforces. And, you know, it, it got me thinking as I was listening to you that, you know, Ted, Ted earlier in the show talked about distractions and working from home. And I could totally picture it as he was saying it, you know. The, the father, the stay-at-home mother or father who's interrupted by their kids or, you know, whatever's going on at home that they have to deal with. And what occurred to me is one of my big pet peeves about virtual and remote workforce is when you're interacting with them, whether it's a webinar or a meeting or whatever, I have so little confidence that they're actually paying attention and that they're not at their desk doing something. And the only way you can really prove 
with a virtual or remote workforce is that they're paying attention is if they have to take a role and be actively engaged and participate in the actual interaction. So this is an example, my question for you, this is an example for me of communicating with a virtual and remote workforce and communicating with someone working out of their home. Is there a real difference from a communication perspective? Mark, I think that that's such a great question because I don't think there's any difference at all, to be honest. I, I think, you know, I did a, a blog post earlier this week about um, a story my grandmother used to tell me about uh, electric ovens when they hit the market. And the reluctance, you know, they, my, my great-grandmother had one and wouldn't use it for the longest time because she couldn't see the fire, she couldn't see the, the color of the flame, the height of the flame, she didn't know if the oven was hot enough. And, you know, it seems ridiculous looking back. We'd say, well, was your bread coming out baked? You know, if it was, then it, it, was, it was fine. But, you know, I think that that connects to what we're experiencing now because there's such a... Um, I, I used to think it was a distrust, but I think that this is just inertia. We're, we're just not adapted to the, to the remote working environment to the level that we're comfortable with yet. And so, it, you know, I, I think that's a lot of it. And Melissa, you talked you talked in the beginning about training, and you know one of the points I made before the break about how how managers are fearful of change, especially change that requires them to step out of their comfort zone. And I say that because when you talk about training, I think there needs to be a tremendous emphasis on training related to the leaders themselves, as opposed to the people that are working from home, because I think whether it's fear, whether it's lack of control, whether it's um, just a, a, a level of competence they just haven't had to to utilize. You know, I w- I'm wondering what are your thoughts on that regarding t- training priorities? Yeah, I think that's a good point. And, you know, it, it makes me think back to the conversation you and Ted were having earlier about, you know, monitoring employees and, uh, you know, the uh, managing expectations and knowing if they're on top of things, if they're engaged or paying attention. And, you know, we started using an employee monitoring system back in 2016, and it was before we even allowed for remote working. The reason we were using this, it basically was a a, a tool that takes a screenshot every single second of of the the screen of the the company's machine. Obviously, we would never do this on if somebody's working from a personal machine, but um, from a company's machine. So it was great for training purposes because we could, at the end of the week, say, okay, you know, we get the analytics and say, what did you spend your time on? Wow, you were on this particular app or tool for a lot longer than I would expect. Let's go in and zoom in on, on the steps you were taking and see what, what, what was going on there. Um, so that's kind of the, the, what the impetus was for us to employ that, and we could see where the inefficiencies were and then work to, to coach and train people to, to increase their efficiency with certain things. But, you know, in the, in the context of working from home, you know, that's there in case somebody, a manager, felt like they needed to monitor that to that level. But then, again, or, and, and coach and such, I think it was valuable for that. But, you know, what I, one of the things that I learned through the course of using something like that was that if you ever question that you have to be watching over someone to a level where you want to know what they're doing moment to moment, then your answer is already given to you. Uh, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, suggest, um, you know, that that you want to be monitoring people to that 
level of granularity. Well, and, and, and Melissa, w- wouldn't you concur that it, for, aside from being a control freak and maybe a potential micromanager, perhaps you need to monitor because your expectations and instructions for what they're supposed to do aren't clear enough in the first place? Exactly. Oh, exactly, Mark. Exactly. So then it goes back to whether you're uh, instructing people to be working at a desk right next to you or from their home, your instructions are as good as your instructions in either case. All right. So, Melissa, please stay with us for our next segment. When we come back, we're going to talk about the difference between why salespeople have been able to do this for years. Well, yeah, I, that's, that's what I wanted to chime in on. Yep. Exactly. You're absolutely right about retraining the managers because... I spent many years as a road warrior, and when people go out on the road and are remote from the office, they need their manager to serve them Yes, and service their interaction with the office. Yep. That's a and, great point. And, you know, when you, when you said that about retraining the managers, it really rang true with me. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, that's great. And, and, and you know, uh, Ted, how much time do we have before break? Got another minute. Okay, so so I want to so I want to make a point to build on what you just said, which is this: what's funny about let let's take let's get off the table of working from home or working on site. If you are a sales executive or sales manager that has a sales force that works for you, how do you spend your time supporting your sales force? Now, if they're in the office, right? What are you doing, right? The way you're supposed to be spending your time is being out with them on in the field, listening to calls, going on appointments, so on and so forth. So again, if they're in the office, people learned a long time ago that having salespeople that work from home or virtually as opposed to inside the office, it, it, it was an advantage. And and when we come back, and Melissa, I know I know so much of what you do is to place quality salespeople. When we come back, I want to talk about your take on why salespeople are trusted or given the benefit of the doubt, and why everybody else in the workforce doesn't seem to be given that latitude. So Mm -hmm. stay with us, Melissa. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. All right, this is Mark Altman for iCommunicate. We'll be back after the break. Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. So thank you. Welcome back to iCommunicate for our final segment. Melissa, you know, I forgot to ask you before you joined, you have not been putting mercury in the trash, have you? Mercury? Yeah, because we don't don't like our guests to be putting mercury in the trash. (laughs) Oh. I, I didn't know if you were talking about the planet or actually. Oh, the, see, you the, got the me element. on that. All right. See, that wasn't even <laughs> see, I was a bad joke. I, I I got punished for that. So Melissa, uh back to where we were. I wanna I wanna uh continue with our discussion. So salespeople, Melissa. So you know, you recruit salespeople. What is it that you think why do salespeople get the latitude that others don't? Well, I think this goes right back to the to the um uh topic of expectations. You know, for the for the longest time, and, you know, and, and again, back to the, the, the um, point I was making about inertia, we're accustomed to having a salesperson have a quota. That's the expectation. If they meet it, if they exceed it, who cares if they're on the golf course six hours a day? Good for them. 
Well, so that's an interesting point because you're going back to what I said earlier about if the expectations of what your workload is, when it's expected to get done, and how much you're expected to do is completed, then you don't care, right? Right. So here's the thing, Melissa, when I think about, I I feel like your company is such a tough job. You know, finding the, the talent, finding someone with the skills and qualifications and what I think every company would pay an infinite amount of money for is if you could somehow vet out whether someone was trustworthy. Imagine being able to hire someone because let's face it, if you're hiring someone, all you have to go on is references. You know, you can call and ask other people, but to really understand if someone is trustworthy. So when you're, when you're qualifying, Melissa, when you're finding people for companies, how do you approach that? Because it's, it's, it's really a tricky, tricky conundrum. Mm. Well, I mean, certainly I think that behavioral interviewing uncovers a lot. Um, and, and references are big for us in that arena too. You know, talking with fire bosses about, um, you know, their, their experiences with a, with an employee. But, you know, I have to say too, when it comes down to trustworthiness, Call me Pollyanna, but in my experience uh, through the years, I really think that the majority of people truly desire to do a good job and meet expectations, and that's their intention. Uh, what, uh, you know, not to, not to beat a dead horse, but I think it's when there's ambiguity around expectations, that's where things start to break down. Well, and I think to your point, you know, when I talk about trust and when I keep coming back to trust, what's interesting, trust is a two-way street, right? People have to be set up for success. And I think too often, you know, as we alluded to earlier in the show, I think too often people are not set up for success. So I, I think the ambiguity is, and you know what, you know, Melissa, ambiguity is is really Anytime there's a communication breakdown, so often it relates to the unclear ambiguity of that communication, of the expectation set. So one final question for you, Melissa, is what advice would you give to companies as they're navigating through this, as they're navigating through shifts in culture, shifts in hiring practices? You know, so many companies depend on your feedback. So what would be your biggest piece of advice? I think that, you know, really clear expectations and, you know, kind of going back to the um, example of salespeople, you know, there's a very um, hard line in the sand, you're meeting expectations or you're not. One thing that I have found with, um, you know, I'll I'll use the example of administrative support. Um, If you've ever worked on a statement of work kind of arrangement, there's something that's referred to as scope creep. And I find that with support workers more more than with, you know, for example, salespeople, that's um, something that's more likely to come into play. So especially as things get stressful and the leader might need more support where there was initially an expectation of, you know, A, B, C, done, like that's it. It, it will be, you know, A, B, C, and then, you know, add on right, left, you know, uh, um, you know, up, down, extra things. And, and then it gets away from leaders, I think, where they don't realize how much more they're asking for. So, well, Go ahead. Continue, please. please. No, please, Mark, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I agree with your thought. And, you know, one of the points I wanted to cover before we wrap up the show today is one of the most 
um, narrow-minded evaluation of someone's performance. And how many times, Ted, Melissa, have we heard over the years, leaders and executives see someone in the office at 6 or 7 o'clock at night, and because they're staying there later, we immediately attribute them to having more of a work ethic and more committed and dedicated to the job, when the fact of the matter is, longer does not necessarily mean more efficient and more productive. As a matter of fact, yeah. And so, Absolutely. right? And so, and so there's this visibility question that out of sight, out of mind, when you're not in the office... I don't really know how hard you're working. I can't see you. Are you a clock puncher? Are you watching TV in the middle of the day? Like, I don't know any of that. And Ted talked about that familiarity earlier in the show that I can kind of control. Like, I can see in the lunchroom, you've got the poster, and I can see everything going on. And I just think that visibility, lack of visibility factor, really scares a lot of people in leadership positions. Can I pipe in? Please. I think you guys are smack on in terms of setting expectations and there being no ambiguity and using the example of salespeople who work remotely. You either make the quota or you don't. Well, and if you hang on, hang on. Yeah. If if we're going to go the route of telecommuting support workers, then we need to have a quota stated for work, a daily work quota. Yeah, well said, Ted. Right. So, Ted, you're talking about, that's a great point. So, you're talking about quotas for non-salespeople. And you want trust? The only trust you get is when you meet your quota. Yeah, that's a great... I'm sorry. That's the way salespeople operate. And that's the way remote workers are going to have to operate to work in a corporate environment. Well, I think that is phenomenal because one of the points I was going to make is a lot of the ways we determine how we trust people is based on their consistency and their reliability. So when you talk about what you're talking about are the quotas, for those are KPIs, but the thing about KPIs are most companies only have KPIs for the leadership level, and even in that case, a lot of leaders don't even have KPIs. So giving everyday workers quotas of completion, that, Ted, that sums it up beautifully. And that's why, you know, it's occurring to me that this concept of micromanaging, I think what's going to happen is as cultures shift, I think you're going to see a leaning towards more micromanaging because the more that grip loosens and the more you have, you don't have that control, I think there's going to be a tendency to require more micromanaging. I'm not saying it's the right well, way to look, go, look, those but... Peop- those people who can't make the shift from being a micromanager to being a servicing manager are not going to be able to keep their job because you have to serve people who are remote. You can't be putting your thumb on them because they're not in front of you. Yeah, that's that's so well said, and... And uh, Melissa, do you have any thoughts on that? I don't want to leave you out of this. No, you know, you just reminded me of something that um, I'd offer up. Um, again, that KPIs. I think that every job should have KPIs attached. And you know, in my business, we have job descriptions, and they're they're not. It's not one simple lane that people stay in. We're a small business, so it's a bit dynamic. There's a number of categories of. Um, areas within the company where everybody is working on. So where what we've what we've designed is um, expectations of activities in each category for every week and there's a hundred point system. So 
Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not expecting everything's going to be perfect in every category every single week, but we need everything to add up to a certain uh, level. You know, if you can, like, think of a pie chart, like, I need a full pie of some sort. That's, uh, yeah, that's, so keep going. It's a, well, I do have a template, and I think that it could be easily adaptable, so I just wanted to throw it out there. If anybody's interested, um, I'd be glad to share this template on how we broke down the activities to weigh them on a point system, and, you know, so I use it myself. So just to be sure, am I am I staying on track with the things that I've said are essential for us to focus on every single week? Well, Melissa, that's what I wanted to, and I know your company often does complementary behavioral assessments, and you'll do some con- consulting for companies. So if a company wants to reach out to you, whether it's for recruiting help, whether it's for an assessment or a consult, what's the best way to reach you? Um, I, uh, my email is mglenny at franklinprofessionals.com. There's an S on the end of professionals. Um, I'm, I'm active on LinkedIn as well, and um, Franklin Professionals, our phone number is 978-534-2422. So that's 978-534-2422? Yep. Excellent. Melissa, thank you so much for joining us. We'll look forward to you having coming back as a future guest, and uh, all the best with your continued great success. Thank you so much. So, Ted, I, I want to finish the show with the concept of all or nothing. We have this tendency, right? We have to make everything so black and white. Like, so you're either working from home or you're working at the office. And look, so many managers will say that, and even employees will say, you lose the aspect of collaboration and you lose the tightness and cohesiveness of your team. I'm going to tell you right now, I think that in the next 10 to 15 years, we're going to see a huge shift of to co-working spaces way more than we have now and we've already seen it start a little bit but i think what's going to happen is a lot of companies are going to say we don't want to we don't want to pay for the real estate to pay for all this all year round we just need people to come in certain times during the week we want our teams to be together and i think you could have your cake and eat it too yeah you know you can have the cohesiveness you can maintain the collaboration and teamwork but let's face it everybody i don't even want to throw the Final thought today, it's not just times are changing, it's it's working smarter, not harder. Right. It's using your money wisely. Ted, any final thoughts? Uh, there's public software out there that was developed by the MITRE Corporation years ago. It, it was developed for the United States government, and it's free to everyone. It's called Collaborative Workspace. We use it all the time. We just don't realize it's in Phenomenal. lots of different things. So. Go for it, people. Final thoughts from me. If you need training for your leaders working on culture change management, the things we've talked about in this show today, please reach out to me, 978-206-1535. You can email at info at mindsetgo.com. Happy to do a consult myself, do some coaching, training, uh, whatever works best for you and your organization. I know we are at a time of difficulty, so anything I can do to help your company right now, please let me know. Thank you for joining us for another edition of I Communicate. We'll see you next week where former general manager of the Red Sox and Angels, Mike Port, will be joining us.